Hello, and welcome to the Flix Forum podcast with Jesse and MJ. Each week, we look at a Netflix original film in the order of release. And this week, we're checking out Netflix's 46th film. It's called Little Evil, and it's directed by Eli Craig. It stars Adam Scott, Evangeline Lilly, Owen Atlas, Bridget Everett, Kyle Bornheimer, Crystal Layla, Donald Faison, Carlo Gallo, Tyler Labine, Brad Williams, Clancy Brandt, and Sally Field. (laughs) Such, and I've made up for it because we are missing a co-host this evening. We are. (laughs) We we are missing Heater tonight, so... um, He's, he's got a little bit on his plate at the moment, so he's uh, left us two to share the show. He's a very busy man, and he's decided that we are the most expendable thing from his life right now, so he's just <laughs> cut us off at the head. You know what? It's actually really lonely on this side of the desk. So you're there. We've got the speaker in the middle, but you're there with your computer, so you've got that sort of company. And I've always sat here with Heater, and there's just ample space over here. I, I don't know what to do with it. It feels weird because, yeah, I'm, I'm still on this computer on Facebook checking out all my <laughs> friends. And <laughs> Heater's actually having a good night tonight. He's out with him. No, I don't even know what he's doing. don't even know what he's up he's to. He's going to be doing something good. I hope so. I hope so. So... The thing is, he missed out on watching this film. That's the biggest issue. So he did, we're, we're hoping that he may still get the chance to watch this so he can he uh, join in and, and have a chat with us at some stage about it. But we are talking about Little Evil. Uh, I reckon we're going to kick it off and have a look at our Fast Flicks where we have a chat about our little summary of the film. MJ, what are your thoughts on this film? Do you want me to go first? I do. Want, uh, yeah, oh, we could ask Heather. <laughs> this room is empty. This was rough because I, I couldn't think of a Fast Flicks that basically wasn't the IMDb <laughs> plotline, but... No, so I did the IMDb <laughs> plotline, really. A comedy horror that follows the story of Gary, who, upon getting married to Samantha, discovers that her five-year-old son is, in fact, the Antichrist. Cool. I wrote that, then I read yeah. the IMDb one. I was like, damn it, it's exactly the same. So I, I haven't read the IMDb um, synopsis. So is it similar to mine, yours? Pretty similar. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing is that the IMDb one says six-year-old son. And I thought, not yet. No, no, no. He turns six <laughs> exactly. at the end of the film. So he's a five year old son. So cop that IMDb. Whack. So I've gone, a man must come to terms with his new stepson who has evil traits. Oh, that's good. Yeah, no, I could have done that. I, I always try to go simple because that's me. I'm a little bit simple. <laughs> no, it's good because apart from, yeah, otherwise you just end up telling the whole story. I really wanted to use the word Antichrist and I thought I was being cool with it, but I think that's pretty standard when talking about this film yeah and obviously you've got evil in the title so you're going to have yeah. some kind of uh, reference to hell and evil things so it should be said <laughs> this is the first Netflix original film that I ever watched Correct. so of the 40 this is 46 yes of the 46 films that we have done on this podcast I had not seen any of them before watching them for the podcast I saw this one when it came out. And when we when we started doing this podcast, I was like, oh, where's Little Evil on the list? I'm like, 46? This, that's crazy that, you know, you've been able to watch 45 films that you probably would never have put your eyes upon. And some of them I'm bloody glad that I did. There's that's been good. some very good films. But there, so I've doubled up on this one now. I'm finding this very awkward because usually I, I track the way this is recording on the computer, but I feel rude not looking at you in the eyes. <laughs> right. yes, there's only two of us here. That's quite that's, right. You need, to talk, you need to tell me when I'm not speaking loud enough as well. So. Exactly. That's my, my little cue that I like to do. So, all right, we try and check out. This is Heater's favorite topic here where we look at the film history or what we've learned about the film. So we're missing him. So we may be lacking a little bit uh, in our knowledge of this film. We will make up for it. What what have you been able to discover about Little Evil? Yeah, so a bit of some fun facts or a bit of film history. It was written and directed by Eli Craig. Mm -hmm. Um, He's done a few bits and pieces, but only one other feature film, which was... Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it, uh, no. But I know it, and it's, it's semi-mainstream. I So I wouldn't... I've seen this film, and the only reason I saw it is because one of my co-workers loves this film, Evil. Right. Um, Evil. Was it Tucker and Dale vs. Evil? Um, and she thoroughly enjoys it, and I watched it, and it, it's humorous. So it's a similar horror comedy. Massively, very, very similar. <laughs> um, I did a bit of reading on, on Eli Craig, and he did mention that... He always loved horror films but kind of had his roots in comedy and it wasn't like a big plan for him to be writing these horror comedies but it just kind of worked for him and, and away he went. And um, He's actually... So you mentioned Sally Field in the cast. I sure did. That's Eli Craig's mother. Correct. So I was thinking like, why is Sally, Sally Field Jordan. doing this film? <laughs> exactly. Um, but in terms of the the horror comedy genre and this film specifically, Eli Craig wrote this script. Oh, this, this script was acquired by Universal Pictures back in 2013. Oh, wow. 
um, and basically got stuck in development with Universal for, for three years. Um, and you can kind of understand because this is a hard sell for a proper studio Massive to sell in theatres. Um, and you learn very quickly that you need to be able to tell someone in three words what a film is about if you're going to go see it in the movie. So, yeah, this is this is a horror about X. This is the comedy about X. As soon as you start sort of blending genres, it becomes really difficult for someone who just wants to maximise profit. Um, so I, don't, I don't even know how you'd sell this film or... Yeah, I, I don't understand how you, you, you sell it on a, a marketing perspective either. Like, if you do a trailer, what, what do you put in that trailer? It, it has to be comedy. It, it almost has to be like a scary movie, even though it's not spoofy like yeah. in that sense. I think that's the only way you can do it. You've got a whole host of comedy actors in this film. True. That's that's your best bet to do it. Um, but you've got marketers who basically just wouldn't touch it. And I, and I get that. And I think Eli Craig probably got that as well. Um, so this is why Netflix just comes in so perfectly for these kind yeah. of opportunities. So, and, and similar to what we've seen with a lot of Netflix films, um, they basically just said off you go we like the script we're not going to make many changes and and you do your thing so i think he mentioned that he wrote this film basically right after tucker and dale which was like 10 years ago or something like that um and he tried financing it independently like he he had in his brain that he has to make little evil like it it had to be done so um after spending those three years in development netflix just basically got to the point where they were making features. And I reckon when he would have signed on, they probably weren't, hadn't really done many features at the time. So he would have thought it was an absolute blessing in disguise. Um, he, he had a cameo in this film too. I did say that. He's, so he plays like at the end, um, there's this, oh, we're going to spoil this film. We always spoil, spoil films, but at the end there's this go-kart sort of race and he plays like the the guy that starts it off sort of That thing. is the perfect director cameo. It's yeah. not indulgent enough to have like a big line or a big scene or anything. No. It's very Hitchcock kind yeah. of. Yeah. I, I, I think if I was ever a director, I think I would like to do things like that. Almost be like an extra in your own films. Just a nice little touch. And when you're watching it back, you know, later in life, you get to see, <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, I, I was I, in that. I, I myself spent, in that scene, didn't I? I spent years on this film and then I was in it too. <laughs> This is something that Heater does love to do in this. He likes to tell where the film was shot. He sure does. And it was shot in Cleveland, Ohio. I knew this was going to be a bit of a topic. So (laughs) MJ on the other side of the table here has a bit of a a love for uh, Cleveland. I'm a a Cleveland sports fan, particularly the the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I am going to Cleveland later in this year for the very first time to watch some sports. So I'm very excited for that. But... It took 25 days to shoot in Cleveland with no reshoots and didn't feel like the kind of movie that they would have been you know, laboring on, on reshoots. Probably, get, probably, probably wouldn't have worried. Stuff. Cut a scene, wouldn't have mattered too much. Seven and a half million bucks it cost. Okay. That's <laughs> yeah. More than you think. And like, so what, what have you had a look at in terms of the critical consensus of the film? So a lot of the things I read was saying that this is almost a loose remake of The Omen. Well, that's kind of so. Like where where scary movie is based on um, Scream, Scream, yeah. and scary movie two. What's that based on? Like House on Haunted Hill or something? They're all based yeah, on. Like, they're all based on ones. Yeah. I mean, look at the kid. Like the kid's wearing. He's, he's dressed <laughs> as the kid, the kid from the Omen. Yeah. Like. So the this is very positive on Rotten Tomatoes. Ninety two percent. I saw. <laughs> <laughs> but it's only on twelve reviews. Twelve. Twelve. Twelve is like. Not bad. That's to get just not- enough to get a consensus, okay. isn't it? I'm pretty sure it's just. So, yeah, the audience, however, was the complete opposite. Yeah. 46% on a bit over 1,000. So, 1,000 people watching this is still not too bad. Well, so this is 5.7 out of 10 on IMDb from 16,000. And then 2.6 out of 5 on Letterboxd, which is 10,000. So, there were enough bums on seats to, to see this film. And actually... Um, the letterbox thing's interesting too because usually when I, I check out a film to look at this, when you go and Google, it has down the right hand side the top three sort of um, places where you can read the reception of audiences or or the critics. This is the first Netflix film where le- the letterbox result has actually come up on the Google search page. Maybe that is really more a sign of the times where letterbox is being pushed up as a more. And I don't know, like maybe next week when we do our next yeah, film, yeah. it might pop up again because. Letterbox is starting to get a little bit more recognition. I'm not sure or whether, yeah. If so you're listening eventually. to this podcast and you don't use Letterbox and you are a bit of a film lover, definitely get on Letterboxd 
Um, it's and, a great app yeah. to track films that you've watched and rate films and read reviews and, and just join your own sort of community of, of film-loving fans. And we love it. We have in the show notes, we have each of our profiles, so you can click on that, check out what we've been watching lately. Uh, also, if you have been rating on IMDb, it's really easy to import your data into Letterboxd. There's literally a couple of buttons you click and it'll bring across everything you've done on IMDb. So, And we have no affiliation with Letterboxd. No. <laughs> it sounds like a live read. If, any, nah. if anyone is uh, <laughs> listening from Letterboxd, I would not mind a pro account yeah true if you're listening to us give us a pro account Um, but no it's a really it's a really great platform to use and and i i tend to use that as a really good consensus of a film's rating i'll look at letterboxd and and that's the one that i really based it off so in this sense 2.6 out of 5 on letterboxd feels about right to me this film wasn't groundbreaking but it was it was it is what it is so it's not 92 percent. it's not quite (laughs) not quite not quite um, but from from what um, from what Eli Craig was saying that Netflix was really happy with it, um, it's always difficult because they're so guarded on their numbers. <laughs> yeah. But the one thing that I did find that it performed in the top ten movies in the first week that it was out globally. So that's something, and that's you know that's that's movies. That's not just Netflix original movies. That's yep. everything on Netflix. So mm, good. Um, it, it sounds like it's it's probably a tick. To yeah. be honest, well, it was released on the first of September, twenty seventeen just Netflix worldwide. It was nominated for an award, which I thought was quite interesting. So I it was that. nominated for the Golden Reel Award, which I feel like we've had nominations for that from the Netflix trailers? films. No, no I don't think it is because it it's for the outstanding achievement in sound editing, which I thought was interesting. Okay. Because I, this isn't a film that I necessarily yeah, yeah. would watch and be like, oh yeah, that, the sound in that was awesome. Where if you look at our episode last week with Death Note, like yeah, probably... A lot of that was more music than true, sound editing though. True, yeah. true. But yeah, I... Yeah, and I thought that was quite interesting. I assume it didn't win. No, and I couldn't find who actually okay. won either. You know, I, like I know that. <laughs> I, I was like, oh, surely MJ's found this, and he's going to tell me. You who do won. have to do a bit of. Di- no, I'm, I, I had two that. setups in this episode for you. I was like, okay, I found out it cost seven and a half million, and I was like, waiting for you to tell me what other films were seven and a half million. I'm sorry, I'm. Completely and then I thought the you would have told me who won the Golden Reel Award. From for now on, <laughs> can you flick me a little message if you found the budget? Because I do like searching for similar sure. budget films. I just, seven and a half is pretty small. We do like coming in on these episodes cold on what we think, though. We, Jesse and I almost started talking about this before we press play and we're like no save it for the podcast <laughs> we literally have no idea what the other person thinks of these films no not at all and in, in that's and on that note what do you think of it it's good call i i didn't hate this but i didn't love it yeah i'm sort of stuck in the middle i i really wanted to like it but a lot of the horror <laughs> elements and comedic elements let it down for me that, that's where i sit what about you i in general i have trouble with horror comedy as a genre um and i'm not talking about Scary movie because that that's a comedy. It's, it's a comedy. It's flat out comedy. Uh, a movie like Drag Me to Hell, which was pretty well received. Mm-hmm. I, I have a lot of trouble with it because you're trying to make me feel one way, and then you're trying to make me feel the complete opposite way, and I, it's just a really weird mix. Um, so generally, I struggle with this genre. As I said, I had seen this film before, yeah. so I went into this viewing of it with very tempered expectations. Um, so but I was wasn't a massive. You like your did, memories aren't great. Memories aren't great of it, but I know it didn't blow my socks off. Yep. I reckon I was able to enjoy this film more than after the first time I watched it. Probably because I did lower those expectations. Um, it had its moments, good and bad. There was some. There was some pretty ordinary things in it, but there was <laughs> there was some pretty good things in it. Um, but I think for me, the real highlight was the group of the stepdads. Yeah, I, I found yeah. them. I found them really funny, and I just. I forgot them when I started watching. I was like, that's right. These guys are really great. And they're in it just amount of, the right amount of time for you to enjoy them. Um, yeah. And there were a lot of characters in, in that group, but I think they all had their own little... They really yeah, did. They, they were all their own character. Yeah. It wasn't like this group mentality. And they're all semi-recognizable actors as well, which yeah. is always kind of appealing. Good. All right. Look at some characters. Look at some characters. So we've got Gary. Yep, I was going to start with Gary. I think, so. I think <laughs> you have to start with Gary. I think this. I like Adam Scott. Yep. I am a big fan. I was of confused. Him. I was like, when's he going to bring the golf clubs? In? <laughs> <laughs> Hit off the tee and yeah, sorry. I'm that's a big fan of Parks. Do you watch Parks and Rec? I do know Parks and Rec. Yes, I know. I've watched the first season, but that's about it. Okay, yeah. so he's in the later seasons. Yep. Um, this is a really good role for Adam Scott. I think he's got that awkward, squirmish humor about him. But he's also a smart enough guy to, in this sense, understand the situation and therefore not do that normal horror, stupid plot progression stuff where you're like, don't go in that room. Like, I feel like as a viewer, you're pretty much on board with everything he does. And what he does, you'd be like, yeah, I'd probably do that too. Yeah, I 
I had, I was like, I was rooting for him the whole time. Like I, and I don't know if that's just his persona as an actor and that came across in his character, but I just wanted him to succeed in being a good stepdad. Yeah. That, like that from the, the opening, well, not the opening scene. Cause I may have some problems with that later on, uh, but the flash forward. yeah, but I think from the start, when you get the idea of this setup, I, I wanted him to, to do well. Yeah. I, Cause I, I think he naturally had this instinct that he was, he just wanted to be loved and he was, Giving it his all, and you, and you can see it in him. Yeah. He's so charming in that sense. But, but when obviously you're rooting for him, did you get to a point where you wanted him to kill Lucas? It, it's tricky, isn't it? It's yeah. Like you get to this point where you're like, why are you sticking around? Like, because the reason for me that he was sticking around was because he really, really liked Sam, his sure. this wife. But I didn't see it in her why he was so attracted to that's, her either. So that that's made a big it, yeah. So that film, made it a yeah. little bit conflicting as well. Um, but it, it's so tricky when. When you first find out from um, the guy who works in the store, the short guy, and he's like, "Oh, you got to kill him! You got to kill the Antichrist." Gozamelay, Gozamel, 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 Gozamel. When when you first meet him, and and the idea is, "No, you got to kill him! You got to stab him!" By this day, I was like, "Oh well, we're not killing this kid." Like as much as I was rooting for Gary, I was like, "I don't want him to kill the kid." And then I'm like. Do I want him to kill the kid? And I'm like, I'm rooting for you, but I don't know what I want you to do because this is talking about killing a kid. And well, I guess we talk about the kid too, Lucas. Like, yeah. I guess that's you, whether you have that connection with that kid or not, or whether you see him straight away as like this kid. He was need to get rid of this kid to progress the plot almost. <laughs> like, if you if you're watching it from that standpoint, you just want to see this narrative happen, and you're like, if we get rid of this kid. The story ends. Yeah, killing it, it's the kids. not. It's not even about the underlying tones of yeah, the, yeah, know, the demonic sort of stuff. It's like you remove this kid from the relationship. I can't imagine the based on what we'd seen from the mum Sam. I don't think she's going to care too much if the kid wasn't there. I don't know. Is that well? Cool? Oh well, that's let's this the whole Sam thing didn't work. I I, I found that her as a character really broke down the the, the plot for me because. Um. I couldn't. I, I. You don't see why he's so obsessed with her and why they're so in love. Yeah. Obviously, you can assume that things were different before he'd met Lucas properly and they lived together, and I. I, I can appreciate that. But she's like legit crazy, and she's trying to trying to hide the horrors of her kid because she knows, like, all her ex boyfriends have died. She knows that the kid's evil. But she kind of doesn't do anything about it, and she thinks in her head that she just needs to find the right stepdad. And I, <laughs> it's tricky because I, I totally get what you're saying, but I don't feel like her as a character actually recognized all the. This is my impression of her. I didn't think yeah. that she recognized that Lucas had actually caused all these issues or caused all this damage, or she knew that it happened, but she's blocked it out and was just like, "This is my son. I protect him. Doesn't matter True. what happens." And and maybe that they try to explain that through her, you know getting pregnant through this cold well, that stuff. Was, that that's was... a funny scene, isn't it? Because it's... Oh, I remember when I told you about how I got pregnant. I you almost get the feeling this is like a script that she 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 rolls out at a certain point of the relationship. Relationship, yeah. But like also the argument that she's just genuinely crazy and doesn't quite remember what's real and what's not real is, is also valid that you can see that in her. I'm going to do a heater here because... So Evangeline Lilly plays Sam, the, the mum. Yep. And as soon as she went on the screen, like my face just lit up because okay, Lost yeah. is my favorite yeah. TV show of all time. And I know it's no narcos, but <laughs> I, sorry, you know, <laughs> got to put it out there. But, you know, because of, she plays this character, Kate in Lost, who you just want to root for as well. So in my mind, I'm like, I've spent seven seasons with you. You look exactly the same as you do in this TV show. I need to support you and go for you. Okay, and that in my mind, and that's what happens, I guess, when you typecast tricky character, you to typecast a character, I guess, and maybe that's what you see with like your Daniel Radcliffe's and stuff, and why his films bomb a lot after the Harry Potter because people just relate him as that kid, and I don't know, I you know, you watch, he chooses quirky films, you watch over a hundred hours of television with one character, yeah, yeah, I, and like I'm just like. I know, like, oh, yeah, I don't know. Which is, yeah, no, I get what you're saying. And it's similar, actually, with Adam Scott and Parks and Rec, is that his character wasn't dissimilar to his character from Parks and Rec, so that's where it works. I I actually made a point of thinking this is a really strange role for Evangeline Lilly to go, yep, I'll do it. And I I can honestly think that it's a complicated character that she would have been like, if I get this right, this movie works. And I feel like... Not, not that she's done anything wrong. I feel like you can't get that character role. Or that character wasn't well written enough. And it, I don't know. 
I don't think I had an issue with her performance. I'm surprised that she chose to do it. And that character had a, I had a lot of issues with that character making the rest of the film work. Yep, and I totally get that. And I think maybe that, and I this is obviously an interpretation of the film, but I don't necessarily think that um, that character was necessarily what you needed to get out of the film as well. True, but it, it just was a stick in the mud for me trying to get through other, other things. But it pro- she probably needed to be the stick in the mud to to go through this theme of like fatherhood and stuff and yeah, being yeah. a dad. I, yeah, I don't know. I, it's but a, I also a, a think that the answer is not really there. No. And I think the director wants you to overlook her to just enjoy what the rest of the stuff that's happening. But yeah. She's kind of a necessary, lack of a better word, a necessary evil within the plot that has to be there because the kid needs a mom right. and he needs to be a stepdad. And yeah, which you can overlook because this film is not about, thinking as much as we're probably already thinking <laughs> on this I think, I think we're probably overthought it. I think we have. Okay. Uh, Al. Yeah, I, Al. I, wanted, I had to put Al in here. I, I didn't really want to um, no, individualize any of the other dads nah, from this Al's, therapy, but I think we needed to put Al in there. She's more. I found her really funny. Uh, like a, She was your stereotypical blokey dad, despite obviously being a woman. Um, but her loyalty to Gary was admirable, and she was kind of fearless in her own way and... I thought, I, but I, she was the comedy of the film for me. Yeah, so <laughs> I totally get that, and I know <laughs> I understand that that is the comedic relief you need when you're trying to do a horror comedy. And I didn't find her jokes funny, but I didn't hate them. So unlike a lot of the Netflix films we've looked at, where the jokes didn't land, and I hated the jokes and I hated the characters. Sure. I didn't hate her as a character, but I didn't find the jokes funny. But I thought the jokes still made the film progress. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's a little bit different because mainly, like, if, you, if you've listened to any of our podcasts, the comedy sorts of elements, I'm pretty harsh if on. They, if, if they don't land... Yeah, they don't they land, I'm real harsh. Give them away, and yeah. a lot of these jokes didn't land for me, but I think I liked the character still, so I, didn't, was, I, yeah. I didn't hold it against her for making crap jokes. If, <laughs> yeah. if that, I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. Yeah. I get it. Because yeah. yeah. she wasn't... It wasn't... The jokes weren't, like, joke jokes. It was almost like her mannerisms that, yeah. were, that were funny and the way she would say things and the things she'd come out with. Like, that was kind of what it was. The the, the comedy was very physical as well as... Very um, physical. Yeah. yeah, very true. And you see that in the opening... The, the opening scene, you see her, like, in the, the office yeah. and she's doing, like, these <laughs> sex gestures and stuff, so... Even yep. the way she just kind of flops across to his desk and like <laughs> leans over, she's just like this real blokey bloke. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I guess that's probably a really Australian term, but yeah. um, even though she's a woman. And then he's like, when he references her being a stepdad, he's like, oh, that's right, you're a step. And he just pauses and she goes, dad. Because yeah. <laughs> at the time, I'm like, is that a man or a woman? <laughs> no, that's good. That's like gutsy. Like, and, it's you know, real it, gutsy. It's massively gutsy. Good yeah, on it's it. good. It's yeah. really, really good to have a character like that. The only other character I had there, we spoke briefly about him before, was that Gozamel character, like the, yep. the short-statured, um, yep. like in and out too quick for me. And I just wanted to bring it up because I was like, you know, you got this scene where it has a rocket launcher in the back of someone's car <laughs> almost, and then he dies two seconds later. He revealed the details of what had to be done to the Antichrist, True. which was basically what was happening at the end of the film. Because remember, they break into the house, like, where's the knife? Where's the knife? Because... They obviously knew that they got it from Gozumel. Yep. Um, it just means that whole last scene makes sense. You know what's happening. There are other scenes where they've got them reading through books about these spiritual rituals and stuff to progress the plot. You could have almost wiped that character out, had them, True. Yeah, yeah, it's had a bit... them find that. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I just thought this guy could have provided more than what was he was getting. Yeah, to. I guess the other point is it, it, it shows the kind of the journey that Gary went on to get to where get he got. Where he to go. Like he gets home that night True. and you can see like this guy's had a huge day. True. Um, and, and then that sets up with the child protection. He's late to that meeting. So yep. yeah. And the cornfield. Yeah. Like, the cornfield, the, nice little... the leaf just hanging on his, these yeah. brushes off. All right. Uh, the director we've already spoken about. We've yeah. already spoken about characters. So I think we're almost ready to check out yeah, some scenes. Yeah, there's not many other characters to talk about. What what scenes in this film stood out for you? All right, I'm going to have a go at scenes. Also going to have... Look, before I talk about scenes, I really liked all the horror references that were in this film. There were a lot. There were an awful lot. There were legit references, but they were, I had fun with them. Um, there's there one that I didn't like, but I want to hear, hear okay. what you like. I like the poltergeist where yep. he's literally... <laughs> like, they're not, even, they're not even trying. He walks in and the kid's just got a static TV and he's got his hand yep. on the TV. Like that. A <laughs> lot of references from The Shining. So, I likened that puppet, Reroy, to... Is it Danny? Yes. His little finger that he talks about. I, 
I love the twins. Okay, when you yeah. see the twins from the show, is that the one you didn't like? No, no, no. Okay, no, cool. no they're good. Um, so obviously the twins are some of the stepkids that they bring to this party. That was so good. Because all of a sudden this is bang these twins with the shy. Then he's like, oh, come on, girls, get in the car. <laughs> it's quite good. Um, not, I don't, I don't know if I liked it, but I respected the, the red rum. Um, that was the one I didn't yeah, like. I, I thought he was like, uh, <laughs> where he's writing Rapture backwards on the walls. I actually paused the film. I was like, what did that say again? I actually rewind it and paused it. And I, was I, like, did exactly oh, <laughs> I did exactly the same thing. I paused it. I'm like, let's read it backwards. And yeah, that I didn't like that. Um, I, there was obviously a little small reference to the birds at the end when mm. all those birds go That's crazy. Fine, yep. I'm giving this a Shutter Island reference to that creepy guy on the street who kept going, Shh. Oh, yeah, okay. I think that was the, that happened in Shutter Island. This is just a bit of a sidetrack. Netflix released this film in Australia. Didn't get it. It's not going to be on our podcast because it wasn't released Netflix worldwide. Right. It's got Stanley Tucci in it, and it's very similar, like with the birds. And I don't know. I just had this this reference, so I'll have to put it in the show notes or something. But um, it's not on the Netflix worldwide list. But check it, it out. Because it released somewhere in, uh, cinematically. Yeah, it released somewhere cinematically, and it's really recent. But I think you should. Um, yeah, if you, it's got those sort of similar themes with the birds. Horror. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Check. Oh, yeah. Keep going, sorry. Like my horror. Um, and the only other thing I just, and this is a bit of a stretch, was them being in a cornfield reminded me of Children of the Corn and, <laughs> and, and Signs as well, being in a cornfield. Yep. But then the fact that they referenced Field of Dreams while they're there was pretty fun. Like, tell me how. There are a lot of film, like Pitch Perfect, they referenced, Perfect, they, they yeah, referenced they a lot of films in this film. Um, the Stanley Tucci movie 2019 is called The Silence. Um, and yeah, it, it's definitely, it's very. Um, yeah, if you want to check out, like, it's not a fantastic movie, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yes, I, I have seen it. Um, it's on Letterboxd, and I enjoyed it okay. for what it was worth. Stanley Tucci is an excellent actor. I love Stanley Tucci. So, they're the horror references that I really liked. Yep. Um, I loved the intro to the stepdads, uh, so that first therapy scene. Found it very funny. Highlighted by the fact about the guy whose stepson shits, shits in, in his bag. Or shits in the drawer. Shit, okay, good. I have that down, too. In the mirror. He was looking at himself, shitting in my sock drawer. <laughs> that was really good. And I really like the follow-up where he's like, I want to shit in his backpack. <laughs> and then they reference it at the That's end. That's what I've written that down as well. So in the very last scene, I think it's the very last scene, um, <laughs> he basically says, like, come on, let's all go get ice cream. He's like, i got my son's step bag in the step, uh, sorry, backpack in the car. Let's all get ice cream and then we can shit in his bag. <laughs> Just imagine, like, some kid going to crèche the next day and the, the, the teacher's like, oh, did you bring lunch today? Yeah, sure. And the teacher opens up and like, whoa, I'm just coming out of there. That was funny. I, I, that whole scene was pretty funny. Um, I, you know, I'm going to go through more funny ones before I go to ones I like. like I like the line when Al said about her stepson, I'm feeling a lot better about Jeremy now. He's a spoiled little shit, but at least he's not the Antichrist. <laughs> <laughs> when they find out that Lucas... Uh, no, what was his name? Lucas? Lucas, yeah. yep. Lucas is actually the Antichrist. Um, I like the little reference to horror films when the lights go out and Gary's standing in the hallway with a flashlight because this is like a st- typical horror sort of scene where how did, how did he actually get to this point? And he actually just goes, this is fucking bullshit. Like the lights are out. He's got the flashlight. It's like, this doesn't happen. And <laughs> the whole, like... Uh, yeah, I, my issues were with the the horror elements because you've got the people yelling from downstairs the whole time, so you never felt that he was yeah he was, he, he was like in danger. Any you know, it's like when you're a young kid. Maybe this is just me, and you get scared, and you're scared of the dark or something, and you go to another room, but then you still call out to your parents just to make sure. Oh, that yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm just in the bedroom now. What are you guys doing? Like, yeah, it felt like that yeah. in that sense as well. But I just liked him. It was almost like a commentary on horror. Like this is fucking bullshit. Yeah. Why? Um, explicit on this episode just explicit <laughs> yeah there's too many good quotes not to quote them um, verbatim I loved it when he punched Sally Field <laughs> okay, good I've got this too <laughs> and then wax her with a block of wood yeah that was really good but it was compounded by the fact at the end when he's when Sam punches the priest and then one of the stepdads goes they both punch really well like when people run up to them in churches. <laughs> it's so specific. Man, that was really funny. I love the stepdads. The only other scene that I do have is when he goes and checks out the wedding video. Um, it You're going to take up all my scenes. I'm not going to have anything left. That, that gave the story some nice direction, particularly around Lucas and what Lucas can, can do, do yeah. and is capable of. Because at the start, you're like, this kid's evil. He's doing some weird stuff, but... 
when you see that, you're like, this kid's legit um, the devil. And that, I think everything that Gary does from then on is just like, that's what I would do. That's what I would do. And that's an appealing part of the film. Well, I liked that scene for something else too. I, Good. I, I really liked the banter between the videographer and Gary. And I was just like, you know, having a go at him for not having a tripod. And <laughs> didn't, like, didn't like the shaky the shaky shots. And then he's like, you know, oh, well, you're going to ask Scorsese if he uses a tripod. And then the other reference like, you know, oh, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll thank Leonard Moulton for his consideration. And <laughs> shout out to uh, Leonard Moulton. I thoroughly enjoy his podcast. So um, does a good podcast with his daughter, Jessie. So if you're interested in another good film podcast, I literally every week have a guest a guest from Hollywood on and they have big names on there I'm um, learning something every day in this one we've recently had um, I think Drew Carey's been on there George R. R. Martin was on there after the end of Game of Thrones alright um, they, they get who's who of Hollywood on there and well worth listening to they're very different people they <laughs> are Drew Carey and George R. R. Martin sorry they were the two that I could think <laughs> of off the top of my head uh, yeah, so you, I already I liked that scene, the group therapy session, like you said. Yep. I liked when they entered that nunnery and <laughs> Sally Field copped one to the face. <laughs> the other one that I've got is the, the scene where Gary gets this police escort into the school to pick up Lucas because he's in trouble. And you just hear this story about this science teacher who jumped out the window. And then as they walk out of the school, you see her impaled on this, this fence. And I was like, okay, that's, that's where we're going with this film. Yeah, I had in my scenes I didn't Ooh. like was not that part of the yeah. scene, but that scene when the school psychiatrist kept going, mm-hmm, when a teacher has just killed herself um, and they're trying to pinpoint this thing on the step. Like, that was just, I'm sorry, like, you lost me there. It, was, it wasn't It was funny. There was a lot more at play. Well, maybe those teachers were a part of the church group, so they knew that the kid was doing this. <laughs> All right, well, that's, yeah. That's a that's a stretch, but <laughs> well, that, you got to come up with something. If that's true, <laughs> I, I just think that was just a just a pretty poor scene. Bad scene yeah. But then I I, I like the fact that that's when you could see what Lucas is capable, capable of. of. <laughs> like, I guess at the end of the day, if a teacher is impaled there, as much as you want to try and hide it, someone's going to see them trying to take her off. So, but I like that they, it was just the moment that they walked out of the school. They they didn't get rid of the body earlier. Yeah, <laughs> just, he yeah. came in as well yeah, and didn't see it on the way in. Yeah. Um, I didn't really like. This is just more of a comment. I found it interesting that the first time you actually hear Lucas talk in a semi-normal voice is via Ray Roy, his puppet, yep. and he says, Lucas doesn't know how to swim. Yep. That's an hour and four minutes into the film. So it's smart because it humanizes him. I mean, just before I don't think, you think he's... Yeah, Yeah, because I don't think you ever really want to kill it, kill this child, but at, there is a point where you're like, no, this, this is just the devil incarnate, so it's actually not a kid. Okay. So... Um, it smartly humanizes him when you need to humanize him. And then it takes him away from the fact that he's just this unpredictable and insanely capable demon child. So it's interesting that it took so long Together. for him to speak. And then, I mean, it kind of annoyed a little bit how quickly he turned and like a day at the pools was enough for him to fall in love with Gary and yeah. call him daddy. And but what, what did yeah, you have? I've, I've got that in one of my scenes that I didn't like, like that. As soon as they get to that pool, uh, you know, they have they have fun. It was too obvious that they were going to have this little montage almost of them yeah. splashing around, having fun. And it was obvious that Gary was going to change his mind. Yeah. You know, filling a, some kids' floaties with sand to kill a kid, like, wow, that's, you know, that's pretty heavy. Like, Can there's I no way, ask? you're watching a film, you know that that's not going to happen because <laughs> no one would let a film be released where a kid dies by drowning in a pool with floaties uh, on his arms. It's a demon, though. It's a different story. But how is he ever going to get away with that, with the law? When that kid drowns <laughs> at the bottom of the pool with sand in his floaties and they go, oh, who gave him the floaties? Yeah. This guy did. It's not yeah. like they're at a beach where there's sand. They could have gone <laughs> it's and... ridiculous. How that is an idea for him to like, you know what? That's a great idea. That scene almost got me because like they left the sock in the, in yeah. the pool and I was almost like, oh, maybe the sock is, is the possessed oh, thing. Yeah. And I thought maybe then, okay, the kid's going to be all right now. But I think it was more a metaphor for the kid now being okay to talk to Gary. And he didn't need the puppy. Yeah. Yeah. But the, when I was first watching, I was like, oh, okay. Because the, the shot of it on the pool, I'm like, oh, maybe that's what it is. But obviously, as you watch further, you work that out. So I tried to realize, and I, I'm not stopping you, but I'm dipping into themes a yeah. little bit. I was sort of thinking like, is the message about, you know, love versus hate in the sense that all this kid needed was a loving stepfather and that's what he was craving this whole time. But then I'm like, no, because Gary, Gary, was, showed that Gary was great yeah. early. Yeah. And that's what kind of, it would have been better if they had have done that a little bit differently at the start. Not that Gary was, uh, you know, pushing him away, but maybe wasn't 
as open to it as possible. He rocks up with a bloody soapbox car and is like, let's do this together, son, sort of thing. So I think the, I, from what I feel, the, the turnaround in their relationship is when Gary actually verbalizes to him, hey, I'm not trying to be your dad. Mm. I'm just trying to be like, I'm there for you sort of thing. And I think that was, to me, was more the turning, okay. like that was more the turning thing. I don't know. Yeah, okay. You know, that's yeah. fair. I'm just trying to think what that means in a bigger picture. Because I'm, I'm going to, I want to give Eli Craig the respect that he's not just making this silly spoof. Like he's, yeah, he's trying to tell a story here, and there's, there's messages in it. So heaps. Um, sorry, keep going with things that you that you struggled. Two, with. two little things. Yeah, some other small little things that I struggled with. So all the scenes that were meant to be creepy or intense to me weren't. And when you go in thinking it's a horror comedy, you either want to laugh. When you want to be scared, and I was nowhere yeah, there. Yeah, so that that sort of lost me a little bit. And the over the top evil <clears> references were a little bit like too convenient. Like Lucas's sixth birthday is on the sixth of June, and he has to be killed at six o'clock. Like, yeah, I get six number six is evil. Like, I don't know that that just sort of got me a little bit because if maybe if it was funny, I would have like it was done in a funny way. I would have liked it more. It can't. You know what? It's almost like you'd almost call it like a light horror. Yeah. So there's horror themes that are done in a really accessible way. way. And it's open up with that very first scene where you could easily construe that to be a pretty creepy scene. Here's a guy that's buried alive. It's pouring down rain. You don't know anything about this story. You see a freaky kid who's buried him. And the first thing Gary says is, I, I want, want a divorce. divorce. It's like straight away, we're going to we're gonna show you some horror stuff, but we're going to have a little bit of fun with it. And that that's, it's tough. It's a tough mix. Going into that, like that opening scene, I thought it was repeated too early in the film. Oh, yeah. So you've got this non-linear narrative where you start halfway through the film almost, then you go through, and then you get that scene almost repeated where he's, you know, um, Evangeline Lilly as Samantha's got to come out and dig him out. Yeah. True. And it was, it was almost too early in the film. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I'm not sure that that was the best way to start the film. I don't even, I was going to say, I don't, I don't even know if you really need it. No, yeah, you could definitely start the film from the next scene on, don't need that. But yeah, I guess you could, I reckon maybe they did that and there was some context lost somewhere in, in previous screenings or... They, they probably just wanted to set the scene early that Gary has this really tough relationship with this kid. Mm. And then it was, but I thought we're going to learn about how we get to that rather than we continue past that. And it sort of got, cause we like the, by we get to that point, there's still Heat, so yeah. much that yeah. you need to unpack. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of good though, in the sense that you don't, cause the idea that Gary and Lucas are having troubles. <laughs> There's a lot more to the story than that, so at least I didn't have to dwell on that being like the final conundrum, but it's a good point. This scene's probably, unless you've uh, listened to our podcast, it's not going to have any context whatsoever, but <laughs> there's a scene where Gary's handcuffed and then he ends up in a, in a marathon, starts running a marathon. <laughs> that just reminded me of Naked. The, 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 Marlon <laughs> Way- nice. the Marlon Wayans film we watched a couple of weeks ago, and I was like... Oh wow! Please don't remind me of this film. Like I, it gave me a headache straight away. What did you give Naked out of five? Something bad. I think I gave it a one. I think I gave it. I think I gave it a one for the way the film finished. But it just, I've written down yuck. Um, (laughs) I'm pretty sure they weren't trying to reference Naked for what's worth. I would say they wouldn't have, but that's the connection I made. Naked's Uh, all right. Sure. So the monster truck scenes. As soon as they get in this big monster truck, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no, it just wasn't funny. At least, at least Al was referencing cars, cars and stuff yeah. the whole time. True, that was the whole your mates having your back. Like <laughs> these guys did not have to help. True, and that was very. I don't know if you needed a monster truck to do it. Yeah, but it's it's more fun and more memorable. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, last one. I didn't like that go kart scene at the end. I thought it just had this too happy an ending for what was meant to be a dark film. Absolutely. Very happy ending. And you need like a an ending that sort of leaves it open to interpretation that maybe this kid's not fully... I don't know. Like, yeah, maybe you not. You kind of needed like a little bit of horror that... Finished it off. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen Drag Me to Hell? No. I won't... Oh. I won't spoil it actually because people aren't expecting spoilers for that, but that's does it, that does it quite well. I feel like we may have watched that together at some stage. I saw it in the movies when it came out, which was a long time ago, but we would have known each other. No, I feel like we watched it on a movie night where we watch horror films sometimes. Possibly. Potentially. I don't know. Anyway. Anyway. Let's move on. Let, let's look at some themes. What's, what was this film trying to say? Well, that's kind of what I'm trying to still figure out. Now, I need your help. Okay. It's this whole love versus hate versus what's right, what's wrong. I took it more as a, a film about parenting. Yeah, parenting was the next thing. I've, I've, I think this... It's trying to tell you that parenting's hard and you've got to prepare for the worst. 
and most people want this normal happy life where you just have a mom a dad happy kids but in most instances the parents can have disagreements they don't necessarily have to be happy the kids have got problems but it's just about trying to work through that no matter how everyone's different and you've got all these different circumstances it's not a reality for everyone to have this happy perfect family so you've just got to mm. work with what you got i think they do that in a really sweet way with al mm. you talk about all the stuff that she says about her stepson and then the whole baseball thing about you know best dad ever or whatever it, it's, it's really nice <laughs> yeah. it's a really nice touch yeah um I think they did a really nice job on on parenting, particularly step parenting. Like they yep. they really shine a light on that. Obviously, because it's an overt part of the plot. And also, I think that we look we're sort of heading into this society now where there's a lot of mixed families. There's families that join together, and you know, the, there's this thing too where there's a lot of maybe male role models that are missing in a lot of families, and it's trying to talk about you know how hard it is sometimes for kids to accept a new male in their life True. and the, the, the journey that you've got to go through to try and get that that connection and that trust with the, the new family that you're trying to build. Yeah, no, I like I think it was really thoughtful the yeah. way he approached it, particularly with the stepdads as well. Like the very first time you see the stepdads together, they're all complaining when he's like, I think my son's the Antichrist. And they're all just like, oh, yeah, I hear that. <laughs> like, but, it's, it's, you know, it's tough sometimes, but it doesn't mean they don't love each other. It doesn't mean they can't work through it. And the, the other thing that I... I sort of got out of this was that kids sometimes need to be kids and adults need to be adults. Mm-hmm. So um, sometimes kids don't know how to express their emotions and the adults need to sometimes be that guiding light to show them how that, how that is. And otherwise kids become dicks. Kids are the, they turn out to be dicks and idiots mm-hmm. unless they've got that guidance from the parents that, yeah. which I think um, Gary is a really good role model for what you can achieve if you have a, a parent that's caring and wants to care for a kid. So you think shitting in their backpack probably wouldn't have been the best adult response to that situation? True. <laughs> and it's probably interesting to finish that. Well, no, because no, then that's, we that's, see we see at the end of the film, we see all the dads all with their stepkids. No, that's all, all in the name of humour and it worked. So yeah. I'm, but like, the, I guess that cartoon decisions. at the end, that is nice to see all those stepdads with their kids, even though they've spent the whole film talking about how many issues they have with them. They're all there to support Gary. It and supports Lucas, your point. Yeah. It really does. No, I think you've hit the nail on the head then. And that's, yeah, I would like to give that a bit more, bit more credit with that. Yeah. Give that a bit more credit. That's all right. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Then, then, yeah then that's, I, I, but I do like the mateship of the, yeah. of the stepdads pulling together when times are tough, obviously literally yeah, support network, but also, yeah, but like literally when we need to, save a demon when times are tough but also in general when they're all going through stuff they've all got each other's back and and, and yeah. i like that about it all right what do we take from this I've, I've already said like the horror elements didn't land for me and the comedic ones didn't either but i didn't tell you it's a tricky yeah, genre yeah I, I didn't i didn't hate genre. it for it though no neither do i i think I, I sort of mentioned this at the start this made it perfect for netflix yeah um and you know what it's a testament to why i watched it when it first came out and why I wasn't fussed to watch it again the second time. When I saw this coming up on our list of the podcast, I was like, cool, I'll watch that again. Um, and I remember when it first, this is why it's perfect for Netflix, right? Me and my wife, very different tastes in the films. Film, yep. As soon as this came out, she was like, hey, there's a new film with Adam Scott. It's on Netflix, so we can just watch it straight away. But otherwise, we wouldn't be able to, like, otherwise it should be at the cinemas. That, that was back in, back in that day, there was a concept of, we can watch this brand new movie that no one's seen. Same. And it was really cool. She's like, there's a brand new movie with Adam Scott. It looks pretty light. It looks pretty fun. You like horror. You like comedy. Let's watch it. And that's exactly what we did. Um, neither of us probably loved it, but this is, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see more of this stuff on Netflix. I've yeah. spoken in the past that they haven't, Netflix hasn't got comedy right to this point. Yeah. And it's the perfect platform for comedy. Sure Sometimes is. you just want to put on a comedy whilst you're sitting on the couch and just enjoy it. Yeah. Look, they're fortunate that they've got lots of other films that they didn't make. <laughs> um, so there's plenty to look at, but still. This will be the, the streaming model going forward that they're going to have a lot more original content and they've got to get it right. All right. So we like to... Sometimes we use IMDb while we're watching a film to see if we looked anyone up. We always use we'll, IMDb. Yeah, maybe. Did you use it? I did. I, and I, I reckon Who did you look up? Both that I looked up, you probably looked up too. I didn't look anyone up. You didn't look anyone no. up? Okay, <laughs> That's right. why I was like, oh, you've set this up like I'm going to look something I'm going to start with Reverend JD Gospel. Okay. You probably knew already who no, it was. I'd... Captain Hadley from Shawshank Redemption. Oh, wow. 
Right? No, I didn't even recognize his face. It was the voice that got the me. The voice. He oh, started wow. talking. I'm like, oh, who is that? Yeah, it's the okay, bloody I need Captain to, I need to go back and check out a few scenes with him in it. And look at his IMDb profile picture. Yeah. It doesn't look doesn't like look that badly. The other one, this one I'm disappointed in you in. <laughs> so one of the... Uh, this was the stepdad, Wayne, who wanted shit in his yep. kid's bag. <laughs> was Neil from XOXO. <laughs> you know the, the old guy at the, well, I say old guy Yeah uh, Who worked at the record, record. store yep. Yeah I thought yeah. you would have remembered Neil We watched it on this podcast A lot, I know but a lot of these faces to me were just unrecognisable So then when I did recognise a face I'm like I don't need to look you up because I know who you are True there's a bit and, of that Like and um, that Donald was, face and, That was Turk from Scrubs yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as, soon as, as soon as I saw his face I'm like hang on I need another shot And then as soon as the next scene came I'm like ah Turk from Scrubs Turk from Scrubs or Petey Jones from uh, Remember the Titans. Titans, correct. Run and Back, the Run and Back. What a good film, Remember the Titans. Um, but yeah, always use IMDb in a film. I seriously just, I use it so often now. I'm just like, who's that? Who's, who's that? that? Who's that? But All right. I'm better. Question, have you got a question for me? Have I got a question? I have. Um, no, I mentioned how on earth would he have gotten away with a water slide incident? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I kind of mentioned this before. Oh, and I wrote, were you guys? Because I thought Heath would be here. Um, <laughs> were you wondering, let's say, 50, 60% through the film, how it was going to end? Were you thinking, they're going to have to kill this kid? It's tricky because <clears throat> until we got to the scene where um, I mean. yeah, they dig they him dig. up, I thought that was going to be the end of the film. Ah, okay. Sorry, yep. So I thought that was going to be the end of the film. Then I'm like, oh, I still have another 45 minutes yeah, yeah, yeah. to go. I was like, where are they going to take this? Because I really didn't care. Okay. That's where I was at. But did you ever think they were going to kill the kid? <sighs> Possibly. Okay. I thought they may have. I can't remember when I first watched it. Yeah. But I thought so. I think, yeah, I, I thought maybe they did. Yeah. Because I'm curious because that kind of felt like the best best option for our main protagonist. Mm, which is We wanted him to win. Is, so. yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. That's why it's, it's such a tricky one. What do you got for me? Well, did any scene make you feel scared or I think we've looked at some scenes that made you laugh. So was there a scene in there that made you feel scared at all? Because you classify this as a horror. Was there anything that made you jump? Because there wasn't for me. Um, no, yeah. certainly not no. jump, but I can, under, I, I, I quite like the darkness to that scene where he first goes in to Lucas's bedroom, that poltergeist yep. scene. And then the demon voice speaks like, speaks leave me alone. <laughs> like I thought that was, um, that was pretty good. That was pretty well done. Um, it was also not scary cause I wasn't worried about those characters, but you'd when, already seen it as well. So you can't, yeah, you, I you know. have had this background where you know, it's not going to true. There's going to be no, yeah. but there was also the ability, uh, sorry, the scene where he goes, visits the birth father. That's probably not yep. really the birth father. And he's in the priest and he's whipping himself. Whipping himself yeah. yeah. It was pretty creepy. Okay. I kind of wanted them to explore that one a little bit more actually. Yeah. All right. Uh, were you? You didn't, did you? No, didn't at all. I don't right. think they really tried to. I think they just wanted to use some horror elements and have a bit of fun with it. So taking away that horror element, did you empathise with Lucas at all as a kid for having... He must have had so many different men in his life. Can you empathise with him for being so horrible to Gary? Well, yes, he did have horrible men in his life, but he did also have, like, a channel to the devil. So, like, a lot of what he was doing was still because he was... The devil was kind of like his dad. So it was kind of channeling him. Mm. So until an hour and four minutes in the film, he wasn't even human to me. He was he was just a tool. Yep. And that's where I, I think that's part of the struggle with it because you have this kid in a film and most films with kids, you need to empathize with them a little bit. And I feel like for this film to fully work, you need yep. to have some elements where you empathize with that yep. kid or feel for that kid or understand that what that kid's motives is motives are. And I feel like, if we're looking at this theme of, you know, families and, and good role models and stuff like that, you need to understand why Lucas may be so hesitant towards accepting Gary in his life, especially if um, you've had, he's had all these letdowns in his life. So I don't know. That's, that's, no, you're, at, yeah. you're definitely right. Cause I, you don't even think of, I, I didn't actually write down Lucas as a character cause he's kind of not, he's, he's kind of, He's the, he's the devil for most of the film and then he kind of becomes humanised too late and it's almost like this cute little baby lamb kind of scene where it's like, oh, isn't he cute and sweet and what a nice kid, but you spent too long setting him up as something else. So, yeah, work could have been done there. I agree. Last one, I was expecting a twist. Was uh, there a twist for you? Did, was, no. It was, nah. 
There wasn't a twist. They just kind of came in and yeah. saved the day. And I, I don't know. That setup of the film, I thought, oh, there may be a twist, but there wasn't really. That, nah, there no. definitely wasn't. Twist would have been fun. Yeah. I, I think the twist could have really yeah, worked given out a well. little, little bit of that ending that you finish watching going, oh, I didn't mind that because it sort of got you a bit, but whereas this, it didn't really get you. Did um, Tucker and Dale versus Evil, whatever it was called. Oh, I can't even remember. No. That was just, it was that's quite funny, actually, that film. Yeah. yeah. I, I do. I absolutely I have these, these thoughts in my mind of it being funny. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, I think we're almost done, I think we are. to be honest. So we usually uh, have a chat and give a rating each out of five and then combine it between the three, but we're going to have to do it between the two between of us. Two of us we so will. this could screw up our averages a little bit, but that's all right. We'll run with it. Yeah, we'll we'll see it. So MJ, what, what's your overall rating for this film? Um, so it has enough fun moments to enjoy it. Um, I thought Adam Scott was perfect. I enjoyed the group of stepdads. Probably more so on their repeat viewing. Yep. Um, and the horror themes combined with the storyline wasn't too jarring or totally jarring. Um, two and a half stars, but it's a high two and a half. All right. Awesome. I've just thrown the calculator away, so that's probably pretty obvious. That's what, no, sitting I, right I, I thought in our head, I'm like, we could probably figure out. Yeah, we could probably figure out. I'm not great but at maths, but as soon as... Now I'm thinking I know what you've... I think, <laughs> <laughs> this is not a visual podcast, but... Um, yeah, like I've said before, the the comedic and horror elements didn't work for me, but I still liked the characters and was they were fairly believable. And I thought the performances were pretty good overall. I couldn't, I I couldn't really fault the actual performances. Yeah, so, I agree. Yeah, uh, it's not my favorite, but not my worst film. So two and a half. Two and a half. Well. So let me get the calculator. <laughs> <now. laughs> so that gives us uh, an average out of two and a half. We haven't let you down, Heath. We've worked it out on air. Without you know what, this film would be fun to watch with a group of mates. Yeah, I think the. The, the, the quips and the kind of funny lines would be twice as funny if you're sitting around with a bunch of mates and a couple of beers watching it. You'd really enjoy it. Yeah. So we have social media. We appreciate those that get on board, give us a like, a follow, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We are at Flix Forum. This week, the question of the week we're going to chuck up is, do we all have a little bit of evil in us? Oh, I like <laughs> that a lot. That one came to me out of the blue. I was like, ooh, surely, I think, well, I don't know. Does everyone does everyone have this little bit of evil in them somewhere? They have to. They have to. Maybe not Ned Flanders. <laughs> he's not real. He's not real. So that's our question for this week. We'll pop it up on our social media feeds. Please subscribe to us. Download us if you can. If you haven't listened to some of our episodes and you want to go back, download them, have a listen. That'll be great. They're not going anywhere. They're not. They're going to be there for a while. So next week, we are checking out another film. We are. It's the 2017 comedy, and it's called Hashtag Reality High. So it's got the little hashtag at so the, it's not, the front. It's not written hashtag. It's, it's an it, actual hashtag. It's an actual hashtag. So I don't know whether we just call this Reality High or whether yeah. I'm supposed to say hashtag. I'm sure we'll probably find out when we watch next week. Remember before hashtags became a thing? That was like the symbol for a number. Dial a number, yeah. Well, maybe it's number, number. Reality High. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> so I'm going to go with Hashtag Reality High. It's directed by uh, Fernando Labria. And it stars Nesta Cooper and Keith Powers. Only two. Just only two. So that's a very short cast okay. list for me. I'm keen to watch this one. So, yeah, we'll, we'll get on board next week. Give that a watch. Please watch if you'd like to listen to us next week. And Please do. We've managed to we've cope without well. Peter. We've done well. It's been, it's good. been a good chat. Yeah. So um, thanks for coming along, MJ. And no, you're welcome. Thanks I'm, for having me. I'm looking forward to catching up again next week. See you then, mate. <laughs>